You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into a Wednesday edition of the Locked On Utes podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I am Brian Brown, your esteemed co-host. Grateful to be bringing the day, the only daily Utah Athletics podcast to you every single day. And we have another great show in store for you today. We're going to talk a little bit about an award gifted to a Utah basketball player, Timmy Allen, named a first-team All-Pac-12 player. And we're going to transition into a little bit of a conversation about Utah versus Washington, which will be happening later this afternoon. We're also going to talk a little bit about Marcus Williams getting a big payday in the NFL, but maybe not quite the payday that he or everyone else was expecting. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the wide receiver room at the University of Utah football team. How deep should it be? Are there issues with the lack of there, lack of depth there, and why or why not? We'll get to all that and as much University of Utah athletics talk as we can squeeze into 30 minutes here on the Locked On Utes podcast for March 10th, 2021. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of the Locked On Utes podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. We are brought to you by our wonderful sponsors, Manscaped, Built Bar, BetOnline.hg. I am Brian Brown, the Big Brown Bear. Happy to be here with you, my Utah friends and family, talking about Utah athletics and everything that happens surrounding it. It's been a interesting week. For the University of Utah, primarily the football program seems to be getting a lot of attention with the hiring of Chad Bumfus and the departure of Samson Nakua and subsequent uh, commitment to the team down south. We'll talk a little bit about the wide receiver room later on this episode, but I wanted to talk about some news that broke on Tuesday regarding Timmy Allen. Allen was named to the All-Pac-12 Conference first team, and it was a very deserving honor. He is... Without a doubt, the central cog in this Utah basketball team, if it is a, uh, a, a we'll call it a five-wheel scooter. I don't even know what a five-wheel scooter looks like, but but he is what drives the, the, the team without a doubt. Timmy Allen has been, oh, the most consistent player, I think, without a doubt, and he's been asked to do so many different things this year for this squad when Rylan Jones went down. He became one of the primary ball handlers. He he became the guy who had to initiate the offense. He is the uh, elder statesman, I think, probably in the program. Asked to be a team leader. Asked to bring offense every single night. And he's done that for the most part. He's averaging a team best, 16.8 points, 6 rebounds, and 4 assists on uh, 47% shooting. In 23 games this season, he's reached double figures 21 times. Let me repeat that. In 23 games this season, he's reached double figures 21 times. That's a pretty impressive mark for a guy who is not a great outside shooter, who most teams know what he's going to try and do, for a, who's 
initiating the offense and, and the primary scorer for a team that really doesn't have a lot of firepower outside the paint otherwise. Uh, really, it's the, the three-point shooters on this team, the, in theory, should be Alfonso Plummer, Ryland Jones, uh, Pella Larson to a degree, but that's kind of about it. Riley Batten has been hit or miss this year. Brandon Carlson has helped a lot. His outside jumper, I think, has been a big contribution to this team, and, and he really has evolved a lot later into this season. But Utah has not had a ton of help on the outside of the arc at all. This is not a team that has made its living by shooting necessarily. They've made their living at the rim and by being very proficient in there. And that is one reason why I think Timmy Allen was given this particular uh, recognition would probably be a good way to put it. In, in the Pac-12, he's he averaged 17 points, six rebounds, four assists, um, upping his totals from the preseason. Uh, you know, Almost had a triple-double at one point. Um, it's just he has been such a critical part about this team, and I think this really indicates perhaps the respect that the rest of the Pac-12 has not only for the University of Utah, but for Timmy Allen and the job that he's been saddled with. We haven't talked about it a lot on this podcast, but this is still one of the youngest teams in college basketball. And for Allen to be able to be that efficient, to be able to produce like that, I think it's a huge credit to him. And so he's well-deserving of this honor. The downside to that, maybe, I don't know. Uh, I, I really don't know how much press clippings and honors like this really affect players. Timmy seems to be a very even-keeled kind of guy. I remember in one of the press conferences after one of Utah's last-minute end-of-game losses, one of the media members asked Timmy if this was the most difficult loss that he'd ever experienced. And Timmy said, I don't remember losses because I'm not a loser. And I think that's very indicative of his mindset. When he comes out on the court, he has an approach. He knows what he can do. He knows what he needs to get after. And he does it. And he's been saddled with a lot with this team, being the really just he and Alfonso Plummer. Ryland Jones a little bit is a returner, but he and, and Plummer being the primary scorers on a team that really just has not had a ton of options all year long. I say that, and that's probably discounting Mickey Yonton in a little bit too much. But without a doubt, Allen has just carried this squad, and, and they've struggled a bit this year. It's it's definitely been bumpy, but I think they do have an opportunity to make some noise going into the tournament. I think that this recognition just is, is good motivation and good uh, positive vibes going into that tournament game where they're going to be facing uh, the Washington Huskies. The Huskies are coming off of three straight losses here in the regular season, two of which came in, in back-to-back games at Arizona State on the road. Uh, the first of those games was a pretty pretty bad loss, pretty substantial loss, where they lost 79-61, to or excuse me, 97-64. They then fought back but lost 80-72 to in the second game um, and then dropped the season finale at Arizona, 75-74, to a last-minute loss. That was a nationally televised game. And you have to kind of wonder what the mindset of this Washington Huskies team is. They are 5-20 and overall, 4-16 and in the Pac-12. Their four games that they've won in the Pac-12 are kind of wild. They won back-to-back games at home versus Colorado and Utah, 
and then they won a game at Washington State, and then won a home game against California. So they haven't really won a ton of games, but if you look at the scores, they're just inconsistent, and that's pretty much the story of this Washington team. When they shoot well, when they play with confidence, they really can play with anybody, but more often than not, they do not shoot well, and their team just comes off of off script, for lack of a better term. And there are some talented basketball players on this squad for sure. They have a trio of scorers in Quade Green, Marcus Chahonis, and Jamal Bay that all average above double digits. Green averages almost 15 points per game. Chahonis second on the team with 10.6, and Bay averaging 10. While shooting 50% from beyond the arc, uh, Eric Stevenson, also another guy who averages 9.1 and 3.6 rebounds. Uh, Nate Roberts kind of brings up the back end of that train with five points, but he is an effective rebounder, kind of in the mold of Mickey Antonin with six rebounds per game. Both teams won games at home. Uh, I don't know how much home court advantage really played into things this year. That weekend that Utah went to Washington, that Huskies team was just on fire, and there wasn't really a whole lot you could have done. I mean, they beat Colorado, who is one of the better teams in the Pac-12, and then Utah hung tight. They were right there with them for most of the game, despite the fact that Washington was shooting lights out. And unfortunately, late game turnovers got the best of them. So I think for this Utah squad, what they need to do is they need to stay disciplined. And it's a very, very basic thing to say. But that's just really what where they've struggled all year long is that this team when they do not execute, especially late in games, they struggle. And that's been the biggest issue for them all season long uh, in terms of getting wins. I think that in a tournament atmosphere, it'll be interesting to see what Alfonso plumps. Last year, we saw him just go absolute nitro, scorched earth on Oregon State. Utah still lost the game. But at the same time, this is a better Utah basketball team with I think a better handle in terms of being able to prevent those kinds of issues. I think Pella Larson, Mickey Antonin, Ian Martinez are all plus defenders and guys who have an impact on the floor without really producing massive amounts of, of points. You know, Pella Larson is is shooting 50% from beyond the arc. He doesn't shoot a ton, but he's second in the Pac-12 right now in, in three-point percentage. We really haven't seen him have the breakout game that maybe I expected to see from him, but he is a guy that has that ability to go off. And I think the matchup against Washington may favor him just a little bit in terms of being able to beat the zone from time to time. And that's another part about the Huskies. You really just have to be disciplined and execute on offense in order to, to beat this team. I don't think that they're particularly tough mentally. Obviously no team is going to want to go home after one game in Vegas, it's been a rough season. This should be a reward for these guys. They should want to stick around and have some fun and enjoy themselves a little bit at the tournament as much as they possibly can. But I think that Utah, with the discipline they showed against Arizona State, the improvement that they've made since they played Washington both in the beginning of the year and in that middle stretch as they went on the road against Washington State, that Washington loss right after playing Washington State was kind of right as Utah was starting to turn the corner a little bit and play better basketball. I think that Utah has played better basketball overall since that game. Now, they haven't always gotten the win, and there's been points of the season where the execution has been miserable. I think 
the at Oregon State stands out in my mind. Obviously, the late game losses uh, against Oregon, again, against Oregon State later on, where they turn the ball over, those have all maybe clouded our vision a little bit about how well this team has played, considering everything that they've been through and, and the rough start and everything like that. Injuries and missing Mickey Yonton in for, for parts of the season as he went overseas to play basketball and then had to sit out again. So my feeling, my gut feeling on this game is that this is a game that Utah should win. And I think this is a team that has continually shown that they are engaged, that they are focused, and whatever the outside message and, and narrative swirling around them in terms of fans wanting to make a change at the coaching staff or whatever it is, these guys have continued to fight through it. And I think they have a chip on their shoulder as they're going into the tournament, and they have a little something to prove. And they also will have a good path to get through the first round and possibly the second round and into the third against teams that they can absolutely hang with. They will more than likely face USC if they beat Washington. We'll talk about that down the road if it actually happens. But the Utes will need to continue to execute like they did offensively against Arizona State in order to beat the Huskies. Some quick programming notes for you all. That game will tip off at 5 p.m. Mountain Time. It will be the second game of the day at T-Mobile Arena. It will be broadcast locally on the Pac-12 networks. So good luck if you don't have it already. Trying to find a stream. Hit up your friends. Do whatever you have to do to get the game on. And hopefully we get to talk about more than just the end of the season review after Wednesday, after today's game. While the Utes will be taking care of business on the court, take care of your basket and balls off the court with the best tools for the job. We're talking about our sponsors, Manscaped, the global leaders in male grooming from head to toe. When the clock winds down in March, be clutch. Avoid the upset with Manscaped Performance Package to keep all your hair and holes tamed. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the Manscaped movement and start taking care of your balls today with 20% off and free shipping by going to manscaped.com and using the code LOCKEDONNCAA, so LOCKEDONNCAA, for the exclusive offer. All one word, LOCKEDONNCAA, to get that 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Every purchase at manscaped.com goes towards contributions made to the Testicular Cancer Society. Again, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code Locked on NCAA at manscaped.com. When things get hairy, make sure to call on Manscaped in clutch time. You've heard us talk about it a million times on here. Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. It is the amazing, low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, amazing tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on all the bars. I love them. I have my personal favorites. Uh, coconut brownie crumble is by far and away my, my favorite, but I also love the cookies and cream, the cherry barcia, the cookie dough crumble as well. The great news, now you get to find out which Built Bar is the best, and you can choose it because it is Built Bar Madness. Today's matchup, we have German chocolate versus salted caramel and mocha love versus white chocolate birthday cake. Myself, I am personally a sucker for the white chocolate birthday cake, and you can never go long go wrong with a little uh, German chocolate to mix in with that. Those are my two selections out of today's matchup. The best part about it, you can go to builtbar.com, 
you can vote for your favorites on there and play Built Bar Madness all through the month month of March. See which flavor ends up winning. I hope that someone can go to betonline.ag and play some odds on this thing because I definitely want to get on the Coconut Brownie Crumble winning everything. Remember, you can also get 20% off on every order when you go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off your next order. That's LOCKEDON20, all one word, to get 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. And check back daily to see who won the matchup and who becomes the best-tasting protein bar. That's at BuiltBar.com. All right, transitioning back to... University of Utah Athletics, it was announced on Tuesday that Marcus Williams was getting the franchise tag from the New Orleans Saints. And that is an interesting move, I think. I I don't know that was really an expected move for the most part. Uh, This is a weird year for the NFL because it's one of the first years where the NFL – salary cap has actually gone down as opposed to going up 10 or 20 million dollars. So what this means is that Marcus Williams will be guaranteed his salary in in full for 1 year at a rate that the NFL determines for the top echelon of his position. That'll work out to be about 10 and a half million dollars. So Williams will get paid next season 10 and a half million dollars regardless of what happens. But I think this move is more indicative of how the Saints view Williams as a player and that they want to actually hold on to him as long as they can. This is a move that teams tend to make when they are in salary cap hell, like the Saints are, and they want to retain some talent. This pushes everything to next year, and in some respects, it's actually prob- it's likely a good thing for Marcus Williams because there are not a lot of teams out there with a lot of money to spend. The teams, the franchises that do are teams like Jacksonville, New York Jets, New England Patriots, maybe franchises that you want to go to, but not franchises that will or have been competitive in the most recent of years. And so I think Williams will have a better opportunity with the Saints, and they do have to do a lot of of cap gymnastics, but it does give him an opportunity to negotiate a contract going into next season. Uh, They are still, the Saints are still projected to be well over the salary cap. But this helps the Saints retain Marcus Williams. They don't lose him in free agency this year while still giving him the ability to negotiate a deal next year. It's He's well-respected in the NFL, and so there's a possibility that he could have gotten uh, a very big deal. In fact, it's, it's in all likelihood uh, would have gotten a big deal. But as I mentioned, it, you're choice of franchises is severely limited and so I think for a player like Marcus Williams where he's had a good initial situation in the NFL he's done well with the Saints he, he's earned equity with with the organization this is a great move for him because he'll still get his payday for this season again that's 10 and a half million that's fully guaranteed he'll be able to take an insurance policy in case anything does happen in terms of injury and this will set him up to negotiate with the Saints going into next season, which I think does serve him pretty well in terms of being and staying in an organization that values him, where he's had success, and playing for a head coach in Sean Payton that 
has proven time over time that he can be very successful and, and win games at a high level. They will be replacing Drew Brees most likely, but if you can be franchise tag during this transitional season, I'm sure the Saints will put together something going into next season, and that bodes well for Marcus Williams because they'll have more cap space coming into next year. They'll be retooled and be able to compete at a higher level, know a little bit more about what they need to get to, et cetera, et cetera, in the post-Drew Brees era. And it's also a big deal for the University of Utah. Williams is another player that is secured and gets a big payday, much like uh, Garrett Bowles did earlier in the year for the Denver Broncos. And, And as Utah continues to build their program, they want to send more and more players to the NFL, but not just send them to the NFL. They want their players to get paid and paid well. Currently, it's Marcus Williams, Garrett Bowles, and then mostly rookie players right now that are impact guys for the Utes. Starlo Tulele, obviously there in Buffalo. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him as he comes back next year. Uh, Sam Tevy was a free agent with San Diego. I, I doubt that he'll return there. Uh, Devontae Booker had a good year with the Raiders, but he at this point in his career is probably a guy that's going to be a backup or a second back wherever he goes from here on out. Really, the only guys that, that really have good set contracts right now in the NFL as far as former Utes are concerned, Mitch Wisnowski and Marcus Williams and Garrett Bowles. And the rest of them are, for the most part, rookie guys or Kylie Fitz type players where they're working to stay on a roster or Nate Orchard, who's doing the same, signed a, an offseason deal with Tennessee where he finished the year. And the rest of them are guys that are just trying to get either stay on a roster as rookies or first or second year guys like Marquise Blair, Cody Barton, uh, Javelin Guidry, or guys that are looking to get that next contract. And so this is a good positive sign for the University of Utah that some of those guys that have come out of that era where Utah struggled a little bit are starting to get paid. And there are there is a very, very solid crop of good young players looking to make an impact. We saw Zach Moss had a pretty great rookie campaign, all things considered, despite the injuries. Tyler Huntley made impression in Baltimore, enough so that they decided to cut RG3 and sign him to a, an offseason deal. Lucky Foto, ups and downs. Jalen Johnson, Julian Blackman both showcased the kind of skill set that we thought they would and will likely continue to play like that and earn a contract extension as well. And I think this kind of recognition is you know, outside of Eric Weddle and maybe a few other guys here or there, it's not been a steady recognition in terms of having Utah athletes at the top of the NFL. They've done a very good job of sending guys there, and a few have stick, stuck for four or five or six years. A few have had a cup of coffee and fallen off. Brian Allen, I think, might be the most impressive success story of all, the fact that he finished the year with the Browns and in, in, I believe in his fourth or fifth year now, in the NFL will end up landing his pension. That's pretty impressive. But I think this move not only puts Marcus Williams in terms of what teams think about him in the crosshairs as an upper echelon player, but it also puts him on track to make some money. There's always the hope that guys will give back to the institution, and and we've seen Alex Smith and Steve Smith do that. They've kind of carried the banner for the University of Utah previously, it does look like Marcus Williams, perhaps Garrett Bowles, and and hopefully Julian Blackman and Jalen Johnson will do it 
some more. I think Alex Smith probably signs on somewhere to be a backup. Looks like there's a possibility of a re- reuniting with Urban Meyer in Jacksonville, but we'll have to wait and see with that. Um, just the fact that any Utah players will get to stay on a roster is a big thing. So for Marcus to get that big payday, huge shout out to him and, uh, you know, pay it forward, my man. You don't have to be Marcus Williams to pay it forward, though. You can go to betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action, and pay yourself. We've still got FCS football going on. You could probably gamble on free agency. I'm sure they have odds set up for that because betonline.ag has odds set up for everything. It's March Madness. There are so many games going on that you can wager on. Basketball will be returning at the end of the week. NHL is going in full swing. Baseball is starting up. There's all the awards, TV shows, reality TV, odds that are posted all over the website. The website is easy to navigate, easy to use, easy to set up. They have you covered with instant updates for all the news, scores, and odds. It is the best place to go and sign up to place your bets, and it's also free to do so. One bonus you get being a listener here on the Locked On Podcast Network, and specifically for Locked On Utes, is that you get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So if you put $1,000 in there, you get 1500 in your account. That's all because you signed up using the promo code locked on. That's all one word, locked on. And you went to betonline.ag, signed up for your account, and used that promo code locked on. Don't sit there and be left out during the funnest time of the year. Make sure you earn a little extra cheddar for sitting on the couch and watching all these games. Go to betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Wrapping up another episode here of the Locked On Utes podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network with the news about Chad Bumfist joining the University of Utah, the wide receiver coach position. Uh, there's been a lot of debate about what's going on in the wide receiver room. Is there an issue there? Will Utah suffer because of it? And I think that's probably a worthy conversation to have just in the sense that we've seen two departures since the start of the spring semester with Brian Thompson and, and Samson Nakua both entering the portal. Samson announcing his commitment to BYU along with his brother Puka. I think that should be indicative of, of his reasons for leaving to Utah fans. I, I do want to point out the fact that this was something that had been talked about and discussed for a while. I do think Samson had some very conflicting feelings about leaving the University of Utah. But at the end of the day, he chose his family over football, and I think that's probably the more important thing for him. I'm not going to judge any players who decide to do that. But I think what it what it brings up is, is there an issue or is there a problem with the wide receiver room at the University of Utah? Is Utah lacking depth? And traditionally, NCAA football teams will carry about 12 scholarship players at the wide receiver position. Utah currently has nine. Before the exit of Samson Nakua, they had 10. And so they will have some ground to do in terms of finding some guys through the transfer portal. Now, the expectation is that there will be another wave of guys entering the portal once spring ball ends and, and everybody has decided that they're either not bought in to go play somewhere or perhaps they're not getting enough time or opportunity. And so I think Utah will be able to dip into that portal and, and replace whatever numbers they need. The good part about that is that Utah did not have a lot of scholarship opportunities left over because they were out of initials for the 2021 recruiting period. 
but now once the spring period ends, then they can start using initials for the 2021-22 recruiting period or uh, season, I guess you would would call it. And you can use those initials as, as push forwards, as we've talked about before, where it's you can get a guy to come in here during the summer and, and push that scholarship into the 2021 season and, and use an initial that way. So that you actually do have some ammo with some of the guys that go into the portal. Number one, number two, with the departure of Guy Holiday and the addition of Chad Bumfus, it gives Coach Bumfus an opportunity to get some guys that maybe he has a preference for uh, to come to Utah. Some guys that maybe he scouted or some guys that he likes and that fit his his needs and, and everything like that because each coach does have preferences in terms of what they like in players. But I think the bigger question is, is will Utah suffer because of the passing game or lack thereof from last season? And I think one thing that we forget about, while there are not a ton of balls going around, Utah's offense was pretty proficient in 2019, and there were a lot of touchdowns through the air by way of Tyler Huntley. I think Utah's going to have a quarterback this season that can do that. But more importantly, they're going to have some versatility in the passing game with what they have at the tight end position. We always talk about Brant Keithy, his versatility. Dalton Kincaid is not far off of that. A lot of times he lined up in the slot for the University of Utah last season. He will do so again this year. They have some matchup opportunities with that because you have bigger tight ends, stronger tight ends who are still athletically gifted enough to get around some of the bigger safeties but also get by some of the smaller corners and that as long as you have a quarterback who can make a quick read and see those matchups quickly in the pre-snap, that should give Utah a major advantage. And and so I think the depth or lack thereof at the wide receiver position, especially with Samson Nakua being a slot guy, that is probably less significant given that you have Keithy and Kincaid out there and, and can utilize them. You also have Britton Covey who can take up some of the snaps in the slot. I think where Utah gets a little bit interesting is what do you do with the outside receivers? Because I think that's where Brian Thompson was really elite. He had the size, the speed, the strength to get by pretty much everybody on the outside and create separation. You'll gain back Jalen Dixon. And I think that'll help a lot. He can go on the outside. He's got the speed and the release. And while he's not the strongest wide receiver, you have two tight ends and Thomas Yasmin and Cole Fotheringham that you can use to occupy in the in in the run support game. And so you can use a lot of different personnel types and be much more versatile in your personnel types because you have a back like Makai Bernard as well who can move out of the backfield and line up in the slot. And so that's where Utah can be really effective with the personnel that they have. You're going to have guys who are returning to the program that have two or three years of experience in it. They're going to understand what they need to do, where they need to go in the offense, how they need to be utilized. And so that's just going to be a major, major advantage because most teams aren't going to think to themselves that, oh my goodness, Dalton Kincaid is basically Brandon Keithy 2.0 because most teams didn't see a lot of him last year. And so Utah will have that advantage. They'll also have the advantage of Makai Bernard being a very, very impressive back, something that probably shows up a little bit on film as they're watching it. I don't know if other teams realize how good he is out of the backfield, his ability to line up in the slot, and the versatility that provides. 
And what you want out of those guys is you want to be able to create matchups. So if you see a linebacker who struggles with coverage out of the backfield, then you want to utilize Makai Bernard in that respect. You can utilize TJ Pledger as well. How amazing would it be to have a two-back set where both of them can run out in the slot, you can go five wide, essentially with twelve pers- or uh, 22 personnel, and these teams are all game planning as if they're you know in a 4-3 lineup with three linebackers. Now all of a sudden they're in the hurt because you've got five wide receivers who can get loose on the field, and it creates a lot of opportunities. The other option or possibility with all of this is that if you have a quarterback with the versatility of Cam Rising, or a Charlie Brewer back there. Charlie Brewer, everybody talks about the 9,700 career passing yards, and that's great. He played in the Big 12. You're going to put up big numbers. I think the better conversation point with Brewer is the fact that he is at 6'1", a smaller quarterback, but he is a running quarterback. He's not just an athlete who can run like Utah had last year with Jake Bentley. This is a guy who can carry the rock. They also have Jaquin and Jackson who can do the same. And, that's going to create some matchup nightmares if you go, if you're able to split out five and run the the orbit motion that Andy Ludwig does so well, and maybe create some option opportunities or some zone read opportunities with Jackson as maybe a wildcat style or a package quarterback. You can do the same things with Charlie Brewer, assuming that Cam Rising isn't healthy. If Cam Rising is healthy and is able to step in and run the offense like like he started to run it last year then Utah's in a really great spot. And I think the big difference between Cam Rising last year and Cam Rising this year is going to be the fact that he doesn't have two brand-new starters up front on his offensive line that he has to play through. Uh, Satawa Lomea, Jaron Kump are going to be returning starters. They have plenty of experience after the, on their belt under their belts. They have shown that they have improved, and Satawa – you know, being named a newcomer of the year in the Pac-12 in only five games to me is very impressive. Uh, so I think there's enough opportunistic examples to think that this Utah team can still be successful, even in the passing game, despite not having the depth at wide receiver that maybe they want. That could actually play to Utah's advantage, I think, in terms of going into the 2022 recruiting cycle. Because if you go through the 2021 season, put up big-time numbers, and go to a recruit and say, hey, look, we're throwing the ball a lot. Look at all these guys who caught pass. We need a wideout to come do that. You want to be that wideout? There are going to be a lot of kids that are going to say yes, especially if Utah is able to continue the winning tradition that they've had the last, last few years. So is there issues in the wide receiver room? Probably not. They're at least not as big as we thought or, or maybe feel like at this point in time. And I don't think the depth will have a major impact. I do have a lot of optimism for this offense going into the season. But at the end of the day, we're going to have to wait and see what happens in spring. And hopefully we find out when spring ball is soon. I've heard March 15th, roughly. Hard to say. Um, but at the same time, media will likely not be allowed in there. And so we're going to be going through up whatever updates we can get and then, you know, planting our drones and, and cameras and hidden cameras and whatever we can up there to try and get any kind of view. Hopefully uh, they'll find a way to get some of the scrimmages or at least the spring game on television. That's it for today's episode of the Locked on Utes podcast. Thank you all for listening and for tuning in and for hanging out with me every single day here. We love you. We appreciate you. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already. You can do that through the iTunes Store or the Apple Podcast platform. 
We try to read those reviews. Haven't seen any lately. So if we get a couple more up there, we'd love to read them on air just simply because we appreciate you so much. And this really does help us to do, oh, uh, we got lots of ideas. So the more more subscribing, rating, and reviewing we get, the more those ideas can come to fruition. So again, thank you everybody for tuning in. This has been the Locked On Utes podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network for Wednesday, March 10th, 2021. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.